0: Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we got the crew going today. Yeah, you got it. Save it, man. Save that because I'm going to ask for your solo here in just a minute. All right. So welcome to this week's episode. We're here at Churchill Drilling Tools in Houston, Texas. I'm sitting here with, I've got Juan. How do you pronounce your last name? Alanis. Alanis. I got David Cook. That's an easy one. I got, let's see here, Greg Mm Howes. And why don't you say your name, sir?
2: Jose Solis.
1: That's it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me here in your Houston office. Nice little spot here. Kind of made me nervous driving in. You got about a thousand cop cars. So, <laughs> what, what is that place?
2: So they those guys put like all the lights and all the I think like all the fixtures on the on the blank vehicles. So they truck in like six or seven vehicles at a time, oh. and then they'll end up putting you know all the lights and, and the decals and whatnot on them for the police departments.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I was wondering what I was getting into if I'd like fight a SWAT team to get back here. It's like, (laughs) Jesus, like in high school, if I seen that, I would have turned around. So you're lucky I actually made it past this situation.
3: Yeah, there might be some sirens in the background. They tend to do testing on those, those whalens. Yeah,
1: no, that's perfect. That brings back bad memories. <laughs> so I was actually kind of disappointed when I noticed that you guys have an office in Dubai and no, nobody invited me on the Churchill jet to go over there and record. So maybe on the next episode, they
2: they keep the jet in Aberdeen. So oh, that's, okay. that's what it is. We don't have the jet here. Ah, uh, okay, no problem.
1: No helipad or anything. No,
2: no. We all we get is a bus. Yeah, so we got a truck out there, so we can take you somewhere. After this. Yeah, sweet.
1: Throw me in the bed and yeah. just rip somewhere for lunch. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Have either one of you been on a podcast before?
2: No. Uh, no, First timer.
1: I, yeah. Nice. Popping the cherry, boys. I like it. <laughs> We're yeah. all going to be one of the
2: brothers after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, why don't we go around the table? That way people, for the people who don't know who you are, they can put a voice to a name. So go ahead, Juan, start with yourself.
4: All right. Well, like I said, my name is Juan Alaniz. I uh, graduated from Texas A&M back in 2010 and pretty much... Dove into the industry with T.H. Uh, Hill as a, a field QA QC representative. Nice. Did that for about three and a half years. Kind of did it, you know, here in the Houston area. Did some work in Bakersfield and then the Utica shale area. Yeah. So you um, said you
1: graduated from A.M.
4: Yes, sir.
1: Do you have your ring on? Yes, sir. Oh, you do. Perfect. Gigamags. mags. Yeah, there you go. One of my buddies. Do you know anyone who can get my buddy a ring that he lost or actually got stolen?
4: Is yeah, they- yeah, they've got replacement. You can call. You just call, and you'll, they'll get you a replacement.
1: Okay, Howard, if you're listening, that's what you need to do. Call a and and get yourself a ring, man.
4: <laughs> just don't be surprised by the sticker shock. The uh, your first ring subsidized by the alumni. The second one is not.
1: See, that's I don't. That's crazy. Especially <laughs> if he got it stolen. He even has a police report. I think Texas A&M has enough money. They can give him a freaking ring.
4: Well, you know, you'd be surprised how many of those rings go missing, and then people find them and actually do return them. I don't okay. know how long it's been, but usually they they start making the rounds on Facebook because <laughs> you've got your name inside.
1: Oh, they do. Yeah, you got oh, your nice. name
4: inscribed, like your full name. So okay. people go on Facebook or Twitter, or whatever. That's hilarious.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. So someone's wearing Howard's ring around uh, Texas or wherever. <laughs> who knows? But I heard uh,
2: they melted it down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's,
4: it it down. it's hard to pawn them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> people know. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't mean to cut you off, man. But no, uh, no, no worries. No are worries. you a, are you a Johnny Manziel fan?
4: I was up until about, I don't know, like five years ago when he just went down the <laughs> poop chute on that. I mean, he, he got kicked out of the AFL, I think, somehow. Or he got injured on the that CFL? one. No, it- he got kicked out of the CFL. Oh, okay. And then he went to the AFL, uh-huh. and then AFL got nixed. Yeah. But even then, like on his debut at the AFL, he got injured or something. Jesus. It's been rough.
2: rough He's had living, a rough dude. road, Hey. That guy was under a lot of pressure.
4: Yeah, I wish he would have just stayed an extra year at A&M and maybe gotten that... Uh, championship you're right it was fun watching him johnny football
1: yeah no he'll go down in history for sure Definitely. so anyway go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off
4: no, no no worries but yeah i know as a field rep i did a lot of work here in the u.s kind of like on the east and west coast but then i started doing international work did a couple of hitches up in scotland worked peru on a rotation for about six months and then uh, did some hitches in dubai and new zealand so uh really working that field job kind of ramped up my knowledge on Oldfield that literally before that was non-existent right after that you know moved uh, up into the project management position did that for about a year and a half did some in-house work for some of our clients there in the gulf of mexico and then really on a visit here at churchill to look into some tools the general manager liked me and dropped me an offer that day so nice and, you know, really, it was really when, you know, when things were rocky with mm. the oil field and I didn't know where, you know, THL was heading. So when Churchill dropped that offer, it's just it was something too you good couldn't to refuse. Up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's awesome. And when was that? What year? That was uh,
4: 2016. So okay. March 2016 was when I started and I've been with the company little over three years now. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah, awesome. I definitely got to see this company grow. And to where it's at now, it's it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. we well, Even over the last three years. Well, I mean, ever since the downturn, people have had to grow, right? It's, yeah, it's definitely. A, it's it's made companies who have survived a lot stronger.
4: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I think my general manager had a good understanding of how the market was behaving and what we needed to do to stay, you know, in business regarding, you know, running lean, you know, not not being overinflated, you know, yep. we've we've been lucky enough to where we've never needed to lay anyone off. Or oh, wow. Like that. that says
1: a lot. I mean, because now, I mean, especially in my industry, I mean, the margins, it's hard to get those margins back. I mean, since the downturn, you know, we had to do more for less. And so, yeah, everyone's scratching to get margin back. But ultimately, you got to find a way to become leaner and And keep that overhead down, and and just become more efficient. Create processes to where you can, yeah, just do do a lot. Basically, do what we were doing in the downturn for almost less, you know, less. So,
0: yeah, definitely, right on. So, God, David, what about you, man? Yeah, I'm I'm a Texas A&M grad too. Okay, (laughs) Aggies, woo woo. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, 2008 went straight into the army after school. Okay, awesome, man. Thanks for your service. Not a problem. Not a problem. I was an artillery artillery guy so study of ballistics where i started out in mm-hmm. the, the professional world sending rounds down range and then served for about six years active duty did two years in the guard wow when i transitioned out i, I started out with thl associates okay that's where i met some of these these fellas here yeah yeah
1: well that was a light a nice way to put uh, put it i've heard other names for them but fellas is nice yeah <laughs> right.
0: right yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, that's good. So someone coming, you know, doing that, you know, you were in the the military and then, you know, you served and stuff like that. I always like to ask, how did that form you? Did that create any good fundamentals and how did that sort of groundwork help create who you are and to be successful today? I mean, is there a lot of takeaways from being, from serving? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, just internationally working mm-hmm. with different cultures was huge, which was helped out transition in the whole field. Yeah. You know, we, we conduct ops, globally and people do things different ways you know as you you transit around the the globe and you have to figure out ways to you know motivate people get them to understand you achieve a a common goal Mm -hmm. and sometimes that requires thinking out of the box being flexible and you know trying to understand what their capabilities are yeah and in the, the military you don't always have the tools you need to you know get the task done the way you want to do it so you have to be really creative, and you have to work as a team. And transitioning in the oil and gas industry, it's been a nice transition because there's a lot of like-minded individuals that have those experiences. And you know, it's fun working with these folks as we provide services to our customers. Yeah.
1: No, again, that's I have a couple of good buddies that served. And you know, being that they're cut from that same cloth, a lot of them make for great hands, especially in the oil field. Is there, you guys need to take it? Oh, no, no. Oh, you're good? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So no, again, appreciate it. Great story. So what about you, Greg?
3: So I uh, I came from another SEC school, University of Florida. Okay. Yeah. Graduated mechanical engineering. Are you um, from Florida? I am from Florida. Oh, so cool. I, I grew up in Southwest Florida okay. near the Everglades. Nice. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do.
4: He's actually one of the sane Floridians, so we're <laughs> lucky to have Greg.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Florida, Florida's definitely hyped. How does that happen? Were you dropped on your head or not? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not too bad down there. It's certain parts of Florida yeah, get, get I, a little bit
1: wild. I like it. We have some family friends that when we were in Mexico one year, we met some, my parents met some folks that were from Mount Dora. Mm-hmm. It's kind of close to Orlando, so yeah. when I was younger, went there quite a bit. And yeah, it's a pretty calm place. Yeah, it's pretty chill. But like it was it was neat. sort of community almost. Yep, exactly. And, you know, coming from Canada, you know, we'd go on vacation to like subtropical or tropical places. So it was just neat to go down. And, you know, I was probably like 10 or 12 years old going there and their house, you know, surrounded by little palm trees. And they were very laid back people. And yeah, just it was just a neat experience. And that's kind of when I really started appreciating like the Southern United States. I'm like, wow, I could really like move here. And of course, being that young, it was just different. So it was cool. It just had the, the cool factor. But I remember like, it was one of the first times I'd ridden a road bike. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And so they they lived on these hills. And so I jump on this road bike and Heidi was the, their daughter's name. And we were friends. And yeah, it was a. Fr- I didn't realize like when you're on a road bike. Like I grew up riding BMX bikes, so I didn't realize that when you're on a road bike, you can't just like go onto the curb. And so I was probably going 30 or whatever, 20 miles an hour, like going pretty good. And I went to go on this curb, and yeah, of course, like the front wheel just completely bent in half. I half of my skin is probably still on Mount Dora's sidewalks. <laughs> they didn't want to take me to the hospital. Like I, I don't think it was like I didn't break anything, but. Yeah, my mom was freaking out pretty good just because, you know, down there and she didn't know she was going to have to pay for like medical bills or whatever. It's not Canada. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can't just walk in, like get free health care. But so that's my only real memory of it other than the palm trees. So <laughs> since then,
3: it's been scary to get on a road bike. <laughs> I always wonder if people's memories of Florida are much better. I, don't know, but I, I have rare fond memories of Florida. Um,
1: what do you miss the most? The beach. The beach. Definitely For sure. the
3: water. Being close to the water. I mean, we're we have we're Galveston. Still, yeah, we're yeah. still somewhat coastal, but yeah. it is it is nice to be kind of close to the beach. Right. Also, the seasonality is probably the biggest thing. Actually, it's in the summer. It's actually off season. Okay, so there's nobody around. Right. So you have. Pretty awful traffic, you know, elderly drivers, that kind of thing, all winter <laughs> yeah. long. But summer, you're the only one on the beach. Right. Doesn't get any better. No traffic. Houston, there's there's not a day that goes by where <laughs> traffic isn't, you know.
1: Oh, I hear you. So what, if you had to tell the listeners, what's the best place to go visit in Florida for like someone like myself who's a tourist?
3: kind of depends what you want. So if you want sort of the, the party scene, the kind of what the image of Florida that a lot of people know, I mean, the East Coast, uh, Southeast Florida, they they refer to themselves as South Florida. South Florida. Uh, but it would be like Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. I'm from the Southwest. So Collar County is where I'm from. So Naples, Marco Island, consider the best beach in the world, Marco Island. No kidding. Super relaxing, totally different, great fishing, really, really calm place to be obviously Orlando, you know, Disney World. Yeah. Conferences, that sort of thing and northwest Florida's got surfing. So if you're into that, Cocoa Beach.
1: Yeah, nice. No, I I surfed a few times down in Mexico. It's it's so hard. It's so much harder than like it looks, <laughs> but it's a good time. So other than so I haven't been to those areas, but mm-hmm. I go to Key West every couple of years and go
3: fishing and that is beautiful. Yeah, so the Keys is a totally different place yeah it's 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 definitely its own its, its own thing it's it might as well be another country it
1: doesn't feel like you're in the u.s but it has all the conveniences of being in the u.s yeah. it's super cool i love it it's yeah. a good time the
3: people there are they're all very interesting there's <laughs> yeah. just different levels of interesting oh, types of interesting
1: yeah i could uh, yeah no we ran into some crazy folks We ran into this guy who's like a cross dresser and he was going, he went into the bar with
3: nothing with like. (laughs) This sounds very Key West.
1: Yeah, you know, he went into this bar wearing fairy wings, Mm -hmm. a G string and like, like knee high bright pink boots and come to find out he's a bush pilot in, in Canada. But like the two, you would never think could coexist, but they do in
3: Key in West. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in,
0: in, in, in Florida. Yeah. In all Florida. In
3: Florida. I'm glad you admitted like all of Florida. <laughs> there's, there's definitely the potential, but yeah. Key, Key West is, is a place of its own. The, yeah. the rest of the Keys, though, a lot of people kind of skip past those. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like, more like West Coast Florida. You know, there's that that relaxing, calm fishing. Yeah. You know, outdoor oriented, not a lot of craziness. Right. A lot of people miss. If you ever get the opportunity drive, Go down through the glades, go from basically Miami, Homestead, down through the Keys, that drive all the way to Key West is, Mm -hmm. is pretty amazing. And consider stopping at some of the other Keys. Yeah, no doubt. Checking it out. Certainly. You won't see you're less likely to see those kind of sites
1: <laughs> that's the only reason i go
3: um, <laughs> i was gonna say your memory was pretty good yeah you know, it
1: was like was phot- photographic was or something i do like i took it. pictures actually because i didn't think anyone would believe us yeah it you don't happen
4: yeah. to be a bush pilot <laughs> 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 yeah
1: again, looking in a shop wait like a, a minute mirror? i was looking in the <laughs> mirror damn it <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, yeah, we totally went sideways there. But what, so you went to Florida and then out of there, you said mechanical engineering? Yeah. And then you started with
3: TH? Yeah, I was recruited at the University of Florida. Some of the leadership at Teach Hill was Florida grad, So we recruited engineering, mostly engineering out of there, pretty consistently. So cut my teeth doing engineering analyses and forensics work. So when things fail, we would consult and try to determine how they failed often acting as like an expert witness if that was required also supported the quality side of things so Teach Hills bread and butter is is supporting quality and enforcing quality for customers from a third party basis makes sense so Juan out in the field or Jose out in the field we would help support them from a, from the technical side mm. and also we would maintain the DS1 standard, which is the drilling st- uh, inspection standard that THL curates.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, one thing I'm always curious about is you know, engineering graduates that end up on the service side. Have you ever considered going to the operator side? Has that ever been an interest for you?
3: That's uh, always an interest. It's always sure. an interest to work for an operator. I think everybody here would probably agree with that. Maybe. Someone who works for the operator would have a, a different opinion. But sure. It's always something very interesting. I was lucky enough to be in house with a major operator in awesome. Gulf of Mexico for a couple of years. And just being so close to the operations, you learn so much. You're exposed to so much. Yeah. The people you get to work with have a whole different knowledge set than you'll get anywhere else. Yeah. So being with the operator, it definitely has its advantages.
1: Yeah, no, I can identify with you there. I sit in house with uh, one of my customers that's pretty big in West Texas, and they're they're a major. And so, yeah, getting that exposure and just being a part of meetings that otherwise you wouldn't be a part of is extremely valuable. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. So uh, I can I can see where you're headed there, Jose. What about yourself, man?
2: Yeah, so I. After 9 11, I joined the military. Okay. And, uh, Thanks for in, your service. Yeah, no, I went in Army Infantry, decided to to do the tour and wanted to, as they say, visit exotic, distant lands, meet unique and awesome people, and, you know, engage in enemy combat, right?
1: Yeah. Every kid's dream.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, we all. Grow up playing cops and robbers, good mm. guys, bad guys, right? That's yeah, the, seriously. Yeah, so I, you know, kind of scratched that itch and got a lot of got a lot of aggression out of my skin. Okay, and had a good time, and then coming out of the military at the beginning of 06, did a couple different things. I actually, went to go work for a company called Edward Jones Investments, mm-hmm. and decided that I didn't like being a financial advisor to <laughs> to wealthy people. Okay, um, why is that? you know gray hair sales in that industry and i was only about 24 at the time yeah and so the people with money
1: were like what can you tell me about investing?"
2: they were like uh, yeah what are you invested in young guy yeah. what do you know about retirement you know do you know the problems i'm facing and, and and unfortunately at the time you know i think a lot of people were really hurt here in houston by the enron yeah. issue that had happened and then you know they were they were still pretty sore from that makes sense it was it was pretty bad at the time i would say but Nonetheless, you know, found my way into oil and gas working for Oceaneering Offshore. I started there doing rope access inspection and doing uh, topside inspections and stuff like that. And then uh, got networked into TH Hill about almost two years later. And that's where I met these guys there. Mm-hmm. I would think I might have been, I think we Juan and I were right Yeah, the you same. and
4: I started the same year. Yeah, you we started st- first. Yeah, now. we started
2: the same year. And then Greg came on, then David came on. But THL was pretty good about doing a lot of post-prior military recruiting. Mm. So I ran into a lot of people there that were prior military service, both on the officer and enlisted side, which was really awesome to see that mixture of, of personnel from all different walks of, of military occupational specialties. And then in 16, parted from Hill and then ended up going to work for a company called Multilift. Mm. And it was a small small company, private equity-backed and helped them build up their book of business in the Permian region mostly. And then that company was acquired by Forum Energy Technologies in I wanna say mid-17. And at that time decided to take some time off, do some education stuff, went through a program for entrepreneur or entrepreneurship program for veterans at Purdue, decided to spend some time with my family. Had a unfortunately at the time I had a brother-in-law that was pretty ill. Okay. So I spent some time with him during his his journey, through the man. final stages of his journey. Wow. And then, you know, I actually got a call. I was I was gonna take a, a complete year off, but I got a call from or actually I got a text rather from Greg one day. You know, he says, Hey man, not sure what you're up to, but you know, may have an opportunity for you. If you're not interested, cool, let's catch up anyway. Yeah. So I ended up calling him. We had a conversation about it, and I think the next day we all had lunch, myself, Juan, and Greg, and the GM. And, you know, we sat there, had a great lunch and had a good time, a great conversation, and, you know, had a series of meetings after that with the GM, and we we were able to come to an agreement and ended up joining the team in July of last year and, you know, officially really took over the team, I would say, in November of last year. Cool. And since that time, you know, brought David in beginning of the year, well, late last year, beginning of the year, and, you know, we've just really been kind of rock and rolling, building out, you know our, our our team and and just kind of really enjoying, kind of enjoying the journey together, if you will. It's nice to work with people that that you've known and yeah. that you've worked with before that you know they're solid people. Yeah, which is really the reason why I took the opportunity because, you know, I think you know any, anywhere else I wasn't really sure if I really honestly at the time I wasn't really even sure if I wanted to come back into the industry after you know so many ups and downs during you know my first you know eight nine years in but was really captivated by the opportunity but also more or less the team and 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 wanted to wanted to just kind of see if we can do some damage together again yeah
1: no that's awesome it sounds like the boy band is back in town it is yeah definitely with just a new a new outfit basically Mm -hmm. no that's cool Well, I just want to take a quick break here. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. And if you feel like you have a great story or an idea for a show or if you simply just have any questions that you want me to address with anybody, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always willing to chat. We're also excited to launch the OGGN Street Team and are currently looking for more members to join the OGGN family. We're basically our goal with that is to engage our community through social media and provide value to all of you who help us do that. We started the street team as a way to gain larger reach on social media. And we just basically want to bring the community written content to our platforms by having you write the content. So we're excited about this. And, you know, if you're interested in helping out some of the benefits, you'll get things like receiving press passes for any oil field events, free entry to happy hours, some swag. The ability to promote your own content and yeah, all we ask for is an hour of volunteer work per week and sharing two podcast episodes per month on your own social media channels, and of course, tagging OGGN. So, kind of just gonna throw some questions out there, and anyone of you can answer it. But so, tell us, you know, now you guys are all back together. Tell us a little bit about Churchill Drilling Tools. I know a little bit about them. Like I was telling you before, I see your guys' logo, and you know, you've done a great job of marketing your brand, in my opinion. I don't deal with you guys, but I've seen, you know, just different events and stuff like that. But, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, what do you guys, what do you guys offer?
3: So we supply drilling tools, specifically circulation sub is probably our, our main product. Okay. Uh, the Davamex Circ sub. Okay. It's probably the most reliable tool of all of our competitors. I got you. It's kind of why the tool was developed.
1: Okay. So what is it?
3: So it's a, it's a bypass sub that at any point you're drilling and, you see a situation where you'd be, it would be advantageous for you to open a valve and circulate from directly from the string to the annulus. Okay. You can open and close the valve using our what we call smart darts, Interesting. Um, which are darts that open the tool to activate it and darts that also close the tool. So most of our competitors would use something like a ball, mm-hmm. which is sort of an old technology in the oil field. Kind of like if you were to drop... Balls for packers? Exactly. Okay. So we offer a bit more functionality with our darts. And do they
4: look like
1: darts?
3: They do. Kinda some of them sort of represent one of these microphones, they kind actually. Well, like bu-
4: they kind of look like a bullet. Yeah. You they know, do. they got the a rounded nose. So we have three different activation darts and they each offer sort of a different functionality for the DAV. Okay. And so, you know, one of them is a shorter bullet, the other one sort of longer, has like a latching mechanism. And the other one, also a longer dart, but it has like a through bore, so it kind of lets you circulate through the tool and out of the tool.
1: I got gotcha. you. So give me an example. Like, it makes sense to me, like, whatever, maybe you're having issues, and you need to go through a sub and start circulating out the annulus, but it, what would be like a, a, a typical situation where you'd use something like that?
3: So let's say you're taking losses, so you're losing a lot of your mud, the formation's taking on fluid, uh, you could open up our circulation sub, lock the tool open and then pump lost circulation material gotcha. LCM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. through our through our ports okay. directly into the formation
1: instead of having to go through your two motor and tool and stuff. Exactly. Okay, that I mean I'm in the drilling fluid world so that makes total sense to me. So I guess uh, what I'm curious about is how do you know where to put that in your string? Like how would you, you know what I mean, or Yeah,
3: so ideally, you know, if you have sensitive tools below that can't have LCM pass through, mm-hmm. Our tool can be run just above those. So, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Usually it'll be our sub and then some sort of filter sub, and then the the jewelry, the MWD LDB tools, the rotary steerable, that sort of stuff, the more sensitive tools.
1: Okay. So for the listeners out there who aren't really familiar with drilling, sort of just the operation itself is, you know, you're drilling, you've got fluid, you're pumping it down your drill pipe, out the bit, out the annulus. And you lose returns. Well, a lot of times you need to pump lost circulation material, which a lot of that is too coarse or has a high, too high of a concentration to go through expensive tools. So you can only pump a certain concentration down without affecting the tools. Otherwise, you have to come out, lay those tools down, go in open ended, and pump a series of LCM pills or sweeps or whatever. But what it sounds like is you know, ideally you take losses, you pump. I mean, whatever, say sixty pounds per barrel of LCM through your guys' tool. I'm just making up numbers. Mm-hmm. You heal the losses. Well, then you're saving time by not having to trip out of the hole, lay down tools and go back in. So, yeah, that's it. That's pretty cool. And actually, I'm, I'm surprised I've never heard of that. Maybe just by way of some of the areas that I've drilled, we haven't needed it. But nonetheless, that that's a, some pretty neat technology
0: there that I've never heard of. Yeah, another thing that you kind of touched on is the, the time associated with conducting these operations. Yeah. You know, our, our technology, just the way it's designed by design is faster. So mm-hmm. time is money. Of course. And when you, when you get to work with a product where the end result is quantifiable, whether it's cost savings, time savings, cost avoidance, mm-hmm. it's an easy conversation to, to have with your customers. Yeah. So uh, you know the, the traditional ball method is is not necessarily or always as fast as as our technology, which is nice. And then we're more flexible. Kind of like Greg said, the smart art te- technology empowers the end user. Okay. And it's it requires less of these devices to conduct operations. So sure, it makes the process simpler for our customers, and that's something they like. They like hearing.
1: Yeah, what's the what would be the highest concentration LCM you can pump through one of these tools? Do you know, or is that even?
3: It's not, we've not found it yet. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't. We don't specify a limit yet. Okay, but, um, that's awesome. Our, our highest rate is on the order of two hundred pounds per barrel.
1: Holy so. smokes! So you can pump a. Yeah, you can pump pretty much anything down there. <laughs> we, a rough boot. We have. Anything. We've even pumped cement. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have pumped did a cement squeeze yeah. down there or something? Okay. We have. Cool. Out our ports. Wow. So then after that, would you you'd still have to come out of the hole then and let it set, obviously, right?
3: Yeah. Usually they they trip back a bit, let it set, and then proceed
1: or trip and swap the BHA. Okay. But and ultimately you're still saving time because you can go ahead and just line up on your cement pump it, come out, let it set, and then don't need a dedicated ready. run yeah no that's that, that's really interesting and coming from the drilling background like 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 i said that that really actually piques my curiosity, so that's one of them is
3: there anything else kind of unique to uh yeah the hypers probably are our most interesting
4: that's probably one of the more innovative tools for sure yeah, cool tell us a little bit about that,
3: so it's pretty common when you're drilling to get stuck sure. And if you get stuck, it usually gets very expensive. You have to call out wireline crew or something like that. Mm -hmm. Get explosives on the rig maybe to detonate the stuck string to get yourself unstuck. Yep. So we offer technology where it's a sub that's running the string. It's just a sort of benign sub. It's got a landing profile. And if you get stuck, as long as you have circulation... Fortunately, we have a circulation sub that would help you regain circulation in the event there you, that you go. Visit. Yeah, you can deploy a dart, and this dart lands on the seat, seals, and channels all the flow through the dart. Okay, towards the lower end of the dart, there's two pieces of zirconia ceramic, which is a pretty high speed material, <laughs> very high tech, military grade. High fracture toughness, abrasion resistance—it's it's pretty cool stuff. You say
1: zirconia? zirconia. Is that like is that like the they make diamond like yeah, not that's exactly diamonds? what you're thinking of? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Very cool.
3: similar process is, is is used. It's actually used leaving the development or the growth of diamonds. Interesting, so, yeah. cool. Okay, so you can imagine it's 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 pretty good stuff, and it they the, these two discs have a very specific gap between them channels all the flow through those discs radially 360 degrees. And it actually causes a fluid increase similar to your thumb over the hose sure. of, a, of a garden hose. Yeah, Increase that, that speed of the flow. Constricts the flow, increases the speed, and actually erodes the pin stress relief groove, the API pin stress relief groove, which is the thinnest part of every connection pretty much in the drill string, okay, uh, the BHA. And in a matter of hours, it'll erode through that sub and you have a nice clean cut instead of the use of explosives or mm. another crew. And this is ready to go at a moment's notice. The the darts on the rig. Gotcha. So it offers a, a couple opportunities for you know, keeps keeps the rig in control of what they what they need to do. They don't rely on support from, let's say if it's offshore, land crew that needs to come out.
0: Yeah. You're not you're not delayed by weather. You don't have to deal with permitting. Yeah. And obviously the safety factor of not having to handle explosives.
3: so yeah, we can keep explosives yeah, not around. And especially
1: probably. nowadays, everyone's leaning more towards you know just the safety aspect. I mean, you can't do things now that you could back in the day. One thing I'm curious about is something like that is when you're, I mean, does it jack up your standpipe pressure quite a
3: bit? or It I mean, does. So we expect 2,500 to 3,000 PSI pressure. On, on top will, of what
1: you're already. So what if you're already kind of reaching your limit? Like what if you're pumping it, you know? 3,500,
3: 4,000. We can have as standard that gap between the two pieces of ceramic come standard sized from, from our workshop, but it can be adjusted. And in oh, a lot okay. of cases, we can accommodate different pump performance. Sure. So, you, so you've obviously considered that. I mean, yeah, cool. Yeah,
4: and, th- and that gap actually can be adjusted on the rig. We would give the operator the uh, shim kits that they need to to gap that to what you know, what we end up recommending if it needs to be changed. So, yeah, I mean, the operator really has a lot of control over what they're dropping
3: in their hold with
4: our tools.
1: Yeah, very cool, very cool. Other than that, anything else sort of unique to, to you guys?
3: So you mentioned safety. Mm-hmm. Um, safety is obviously like number one priority throughout the industry. Absolutely. So one of our, our first products at Churchill was the Drift Catcher Sub. So this is a sub with a landing profile and can size a dart, a drift dart that's by, per order. So if you are drifting a specific size, we'll supply it and then you'll drop that dart and if the dart lands on seat, the flow will be constricted through a, a nozzle of constriction and you'll see a pressure increase indicating that it's landed and you've successfully drifted your pipe. So let's say at the end of a run, you're finishing drilling out a whole section, and you, after this, you're going to go to either cement or run a landing string. Mm-hmm. You'll pump this drift dart. If it ends up getting hung up somewhere in the string, you'll see maybe a flutter indication, but you won't see that positive pressure increase that you're looking for. Okay, indicate to you that you might have debris or you the pipe above the string above did not drift. Okay, so if it does land, then you have some confidence that the pipes drifted so, it's oh, okay. step.
0: so you would see it on your pump a, pressure if a, it would go up it's or? an active drifting method so you drop the dart at the, the end of that that hole section yeah it lands out and there's a choke on the back of it which would indicate that it landed out so oh, cool. when you see that you don't have to deploy other alternative drifting techniques on the rig that may result in heavy objects being hoisted up and dropped down through the pipe which could result in a dropped object of course yeah no a lot more user friendly and easy to you know
1: easy application it sounds like and and being able to identify whether you do have debris is it you know like I'm picturing this you drop it and you know how many strokes it is and then you can figure out the depth of where the debris is or how does that work
3: we do have a volumetric drift that can do that but the standard drift you drop it and then as if if it doesn't land out and as you trip you either visually inspect or rabbit the drill string and maybe find where the drift is located uh, yeah but this is kind of an alternative to the surface level drifting drifting of stands rabbiting pipe it's when you drop the drift it starts at the rig floor and is dropped into the well rather than starting up at the top of the derrick and mm. being dropped down to the rig floor where yep. humans exist right hang out. So
1: yeah no i've been in, t- in that exact situation so no that's pretty neat so more just a general question I have is is what's what are the some of the biggest challenges that Churchill faces in the current marketplace? I mean, we went through the downturn. You know, the, the, we're sort of in that hangover. It's still a volatile market. So, yeah, where do you how do you guys kind of deal with that, or what kind of challenges are you guys facing still in the industry?
0: Probably similar to what a lot of people are seeing, which is you know we want to do more with less. Mm-hmm. I think that's. That's a position that a lot of people are familiar with, or have been familiar with for the past couple of years. Yeah, you know how you go about that. It probably varies from organization to organization, but sure. You know, a couple key things that that stick out in my mind are you know being transparent with your customers and understanding those expectations. Make sure they're lined out. Mm-hmm. Communication is obviously a, a huge driver in that internally and externally. Yeah, and I, I think with with good communication, that small teams can be pretty effective yeah so that's something that we do well i believe is you know we communicate well with our customers you know we understand their needs make sure that the team understands their needs and yeah we we try to deliver on that
1: no and that's huge i mean like you guys said you know coming through you guys came out of the downturn pretty strong so you know from top management down it sounds like they kind of set a good precedence for you guys and
0: we want to be we want to be our customers most valuable player
1: yeah no that's that's fantastic Yeah. No, that's, uh, that makes sense. Jose, you were talking, there were some few things that you know, we were talking about even before, and there was some stuff that you mentioned. If you remember, do you mind touching on some of that stuff? Because I know it was pretty important. And I was, you know.
2: Yeah, I was, so what I was mentioning was, you know, obviously the common thread that the four of us have together is that we, we all came from a third party quality assurance engineering firm. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the things that we've seen, lessons learned, if you will, I think especially on one side being the shop or being being the operations manager and having having command and control over the shop, having gone through all these shop audits and and seeing all these lessons learned and, and seeing customers being bit by bad quality. Mm-hmm you know really putting best practices in place by making sure that you know there's quality checks at certain points that we use reputable third party inspection companies and we hold them to a certain standard yeah and and just having that that quality as top of mind for all four of us yeah i mean we're we're always so you know obviously at the end of the day we want to make sure that our clients get you know a great tool that has the highest possible chance of success so I think the four of us were always thinking about well, what are the quality things and and, and just coming from that company THL, some of you know the listeners probably you know they have they've had washouts on their drill string or they've had you know connections come apart or they've had mm-hmm. mud motors fail on them and they're, they're they're spinning the wheels wondering well what are we doing wrong right yeah and just having a sense of quality assurance quality control in your. In your program, or having a program, or some kind of it, at least a, an outline of of what you require of your vendors, yeah, and making sure that you know, because for most of the onshore folks, you know, you see a range of of quality assurance programs. You yeah. see those that are like the Royal Navy, and then you see some that are like pirates, right? They're Dude, like,
1: that's that's a great way to put it.
2: Well, that's and that's how it was explained to us, right? It's you know, the, it's it's a complete range, but I think now, especially during the downturn. Nobody really can afford to have those kind of failures. So, but they also can't afford some of them, you know, some of the operators can't afford to have a complete in house, you know, project manager, an in house engineer. You know a a third party q a qc technician you know on location all the time because it's an additional cost to them. Right. But if they can outline to their vendors, hey, this is what we require. Mm-hmm. You need to meet these requirements. And then on the vendor side, if you are taking those requirements, understanding the actions that you can take on your side to meet those re- or exceed those requirements so that at the end of the day you can come back to your client and say, hey look, we did X, Y, and Z and A, B, C yep. to make sure that we got you a quality tool here are the photos, here are the inspection reports, here are the dimensional report, you know, Mm -hmm. here's everything. And here's where we took photos along the way or or something along those lines. You really save yourself a lot of heartache because, you know, let's say for instance, if you do a drill pipe inspection and then, you know, you get this, you get this bill back and it's for, you know, 50 connections that were damaged that went to the machine shop. And you're wondering what happened? Well, I, I didn't know anything about this. Well, you know, did you did you specify, hey, when you come across the damage connection, do X, Y or Z or we're willing to accept A, B or C or refer to API DS1 or whatever standard you might use to make sure that, you know, th- to make sure that that you that you document that process or how do you communicate that back to me before I sign off on the approval ticket or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. And 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 just on the vendor side, because those are really tough conversations to have with your clients. right? Oh, yeah. And, and when you have those conversations, I'm not saying that, that you can't come out the other side better for it, but if you can av- not really avoid them, but if you can address them early on in the relationship, I think you'll find you'll have a much smoother sale with your client. Mm-hmm. And just keeping that in mind on the quality assurance side, I mean, just having some kind of presence of mind that, hey, you know, if we're going to rent this drill string, you know, what was the inspection done before? What condition was it coming to us in? And what do we expect it to be maintained at? And if it comes at, if it comes to us and it's at a it's at an eight and it goes down to a six, what are we liable for? Yeah, you know, what are we on the hook for? And then having that conversation up front with your vendor mm-hmm. and just understanding the history of the equipment that you're getting, and then also, I would say probably for the uh, for the service side, just trying to to have some kind of in house program. That shows confidence that that your vendor that your customer can have confidence in,
1: yeah right no, I mean I again, being on the drilling side, I see it all the time, you know whether it's tool failures, whether it's washouts in your pipes and your subs yeah yeah, it always comes down to okay, let's investigate, let's try and find the root cause and a lot of times it's like sometimes people will you know drag their feet and give them little bits of information hoping that people forget, but if you got a good system in place, and as soon as something happens you have the you know the process in place and the system to be able to deliver you know information you know the information or the data something that your customer can look at and you know out understand you know the case and all the details on it then then ultimately they can make decisions and justify it to their management as to what happened and if you got a nice package or you know whatever the deliverable is that goes a long ways and that that's just custom you know that that helps with retention as well you know yeah for sure and the trust
2: yeah on the service side i mean nobody wants to lose a client right right and so i think if you do those things up front you know it gives you it makes the client i think even have a lot more confidence in you even if there was a problem and something went wrong let's say they ran the tool outside of its operating you know window right and something went wrong and, and and that was addressed then you know like okay look you guys ran the tool out of spec here was the damage that was incurred you know obviously because this damage was incurred there's there's going to be an associated charge with that but you knew this going into it and we knew the risk going into it and so maybe it's a sacrificial tool maybe i'd rather you damage this tool than your entire expensive jewelry right yeah so just kind of putting those things in their mind saying look you know if this tool saved you from damaging your BHA, your MWD, your LWD, which is going to cost you or whatever, you know, whatever smart tools you have that could cost you, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, then, you know, maybe it was worth the risk, right? Or maybe it was worth the the cost. Exactly.
1: So would you say a lot of companies in your space have in-house programs or are there certain standards that like the oil fields put in place that you have to meet? Like how does it you know what I mean? As far
2: as drilling tools go, yeah, At, or uh, like
1: quality assurance programs. Like on the on the like the drilling fluid side, there's a quality control programs that like our chemicals meet this spec, right? You know, and and we get stamped of, certif- you know
0: certificate
2: of yeah. Quality we've all we've all yeah.
0: two ds one. Okay, we've yeah. all
2: been to a bunch of shops, and I've seen the, the gambit, right? I've seen some that have top notch, you know, great quality programs, and I've seen some that kind of look at you when you show up and say, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what's what's in, what's a DS1? You know? Oh wow. Or or you know, something along those lines, you know, like what what do you mean you need a quality standard? Or what do you mean I need to show you the wear tolerance for this one component? You know, because sure. wow if it's a used component and and if it's weird, then it's okay. It's not saying that you can't reuse it, but what's the specification there? Like what is your procedure, what's your engineering department say, you know, If Hmm. if this is something that's acceptable. And, you know, the customer can always deviate from the standard, depending on, you know, if the end user, I should say, can always deviate from the standard if they know the risk. Of course, yeah. Because not every well is going to be a a deep water critical well that's going to have, you know, 32,000 feet. You may just be drilling, you know, ten, twelve thousand 12,000 feet wells that... Are, are pretty, you know, it's like drilling through marshmallows, right? Where it's just like, I know what I'm doing. I have, you know, a am manufactured drilling. I know my risk. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I know the formations really well. So each situation dictates what that shop or for what that customer should do. And, and but we've seen, we've seen, you know, most, most, I would say most shops, you know, they have situational awareness. They're going to get some kind of guidance for the client. But, you know, that comes back to that communication channel. And and having those conversations up front. What what are your requirements? What do you need from us? How can we how can we best serve you? Okay. And if you're running into a critical well, then let's take maybe an extra the extra few minutes and figure this out up front. Yeah. Before you know we get both get pinched, right? Yeah.
1: So it's somewhat it's it's kind of case by case, and all, sometimes it's operator specific. I would mm. imagine the majors like for, you know when we go to do a tender, a lot of the majors require us to prove our quality insurance right. programs, yep. whereas some of the mom and pops. They don't care. They're just like, "Hey, send out some product and let's drill as well." And yeah, exactly. Get, get like I
2: said, it. the Royal Navy and the pirates, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and budget dictates too. Because of course. Even with some of the the majors, we've seen their quality programs evolve. So going from being, you know, uh, I would say, you know, let's say on a scale from one to ten, going from you know a six to a ten, and then scaling back as the downturn happened to maybe like a seven, eight, even back down to a six. In some cases where instead of sending, let's say, a third-party quality assurance inspector out to the shop, they may say, just send us the, the, the packet and we'll do a document review, right? Yeah. And so it, it just really depends case by case for for most of them and budgets. And then it, it, I would say quality assurance is like a religion. You know, either people believe in it or they don't. And so, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I don't, I don't need a third-party inspector. I, just give me a standard rack inspection. I'm good to go, right? Mm-hmm. Just use a reputable company to do the inspection or whatever it might be right
4: but you know to elaborate on that so you know the operators have certainly been evolving their qaqc programs you know sometimes it's low on the totem pole sometimes it's you know at the top but i think sort of a lingering effect that you know when 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 times were good surveillance was high you know a lot of these shops were kind of getting whipped into shape you know hey you're Mm -hmm. missing x y and z yeah these shops were you know rectifying that and i think the 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 shops that embraced third-party surveillance and embraced operator input and their quality program were able to come out on top because they came out with a more robust robust program and so you know now when the operators are scaling back the shops are still maintaining that level of quality because you know at the end of the day regardless of whether the the surveillance was there or not if their tool fails for whatever reason they've got to be the ones to back it up you know and so in my time from field surveillance to, you know, here, being here in the shop, you know, things just like, you know, improving your quality program to where you're taking pictures, you're taking videos, mm-hmm. you're uh, documenting much more details on your tools because, you know, should something happen, you've got the quality program that backs up your tool. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not, you know, you're always going to have human error. You're always going to have, you know, operator error. But, sure. you know, if, if you've got the procedures, you've got the backups, documentation, it's, it's gonna cover you and that's that's really where I think the four of us here being at this shop, you know we came from the quality of life and you know quality used to be the the whole pie but uh you know now that we're here, you know we realize that quality it's it's a big chunk of the pie mm-hmm. but it's not everything but I think it lays down the, a solid foundation for what you know we're trying to do and I think a lot of vendors that do come out ahead right now in this downturn, sort of embrace that ideology
1: yeah no i i shoot i appreciate that that makes a lot of sense so it kind of leads me to my next question does and something that everyone's talking about now is like ai data analytics digitalization does that play a part in your guys's world at all with regards to like tracking things or not really i,
4: I think it does and it doesn't so on the shop side of things we've sort of you know, I I was lucky enough to see a lot of shops when I was uh, doing field surveillance. Yeah. And I, I think I only once saw a shop, only one time, that had embraced the sort of no paper, all digital sort of lifestyle in their shop. And mm-hmm. it was really cool to see, but it was also like really expensive. So like every workstation <laughs> had a computer, you had surveillance, you know, they had like these big screen TVs all over the, the shop where you could sort of see, you know, it was like a little... Wall Street ticker, but you saw where every workstation, you know, is on step one, step two, oh, wow. step three. It was really neat. But honestly, like, you know, good old hard copies and, you know, job routers and, and folders, you know, they they do even better. You know, you, you can see everything. I can look at this document and see, you know, if Joe signed off on this or he didn't sign off on this. You can sure. see that, oh, this guy just pencil whipped this thing because you can just look at the handwriting. I mean... We've kind of pushed back on digitization and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but I know like on the sales front, they've got a couple of uh, software tools that they've used to kind of help them out.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, to the idea that digitization and and data analytics, I mean, you know, a lot of companies are going to be collecting data. Like for instance, you know, I think NOV's got a new black box tool that collects information from the well, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we know a lot about the runs with all of our tools, right? So- We've got, you know, out of all the runs that we've done, we document these, these, you know, what was the application, what was, you know, what happened, and try and, and capture that data. And I'm thinking that eventually, you know, we'll have this, this solid base of data to look at and say, you know, on average, tools are deployed, you know, in this region, and this yes. is the application that's used, and this is the depth that it's, you know, used at. And I think companies are going to start looking at service companies, like us that provide tools and say, you know, tell us about who your clients, where do they use the, the tools the most, and what applications do they use them the most. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the the data from the the usage of the tool. And I think eventually yes. we'll get to the point where we've got so much data. And you know, as a 17 year old company, we're still pretty young in that sense. Okay. So we don't have, you know, the amount of data that a NOV or Slumberger or a Weatherford would have. On, and because we have a very specific niche tool set Mm -hmm. and we're developing new tools based off the customer's problems. Right. Not necessarily the data, if you will, but just based off of what issues are you having, how can we solve them. Hmm. But I do think eventually, you know, we will have a big enough data set that we can start to analyze it. And we do it to a certain point now. We look at you know how many number of deployments, how many number of runs. We we look at the information on reliability stats and things yeah. of that nature, and that goes a long way with our clients because they want to know well you know how reliable is your tool. Well, we know dormancy, we know activations, we know all these other data points, and I do think it's going to play a role okay. in our development as a company. But we're still very young, and I think you know we are trying to embrace you know merging the, the, the paper-based systems to a database systems. And, you know, even on, like you were saying, the sales tools, like, you know, implementing a proper, let's say a system for, you know, lead management and, and CRM and things like that, yeah. that help us understand, you know, well, on average, we get this many inbound leads or that many. I mean, and, and looking at that data, like who's looking at us from where we look at, we used to have a software that would help us. It was called lead analytics and, and, it would help us look at who is visiting our website right yeah and some having some of that information help you can help you make business decisions quickly yes right do i need to open up a shop in xyz place because i'm getting 100 hits a month from you know wherever that is right yeah and so understanding where you need to go business wide make, make business decisions off of that data is going to be a big thing in our in our future for sure
1: yeah no and and i agree with you 100% the company i work for we're going through a big transition right now of getting Everything, you know, from Excel based onto stuff like Power BI and, and a lot of that stuff. And what we've experienced is because, you know, with drilling fluids, you're constantly doing mud checks. You got different properties. A lot of what we do is analyzing different trends and then stuff with like inventory. And so tying it all together to help, like you said, make business decisions and also deliver quality data that tells a story to the customer yeah. almost real time is extremely valuable. And we're at, a, we're at a, almost a billion dollar company now and trying to capture all that data now is extremely cost and cost intensive whereas like if we would have started back when all this was sort of starting to to come up because every day you're collecting data so every day that goes by that you're not implementing a lot of this stuff is just going to cost you more money on the back and when you decide to do it so the good thing like you said is you're somewhat in the infancy stage and yeah there's opportunity there and but it, it sounds like you guys are aware enough to to make it happen when the time's right so that's that's exciting stuff we're getting close to an hour here, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Is there anyone, anything else that you want the listeners to to know about? Any cool things coming down the pipeline that you guys have? I mean, we touched on a lot of it, but no. I, no. Would,
2: I guess because so because specifically, you know, your your audience mostly is is an onshore audience. I would say it's a little um, bit of
1: everything, honestly. Just don't let the name fool you. We yeah, have people no, that no, aren't no. even in oil and gas listening to it.
2: You know. I would just say that, you know, we we are definitely looking to expand our reach. So we, we operate right now out of this hub in, you know, East Canada, in Saint John's, Alaska, Mexico. We serve the Caribbean region out of Trinidad. We're getting ready to to establish, you know, our, our business in Colombia. Not a hub per se, but a relationship there to to provide service and tools in, in that region. Wow. And and the main focus for this hub is the Gulf of Mexico but we've got opportunities that we've worked on onshore and we're looking to expand really on the onshore region here in the US to see how we can serve some of the clients that are having some of the critical problems here onshore sure so we're you know we're looking for the toughest wells you know we're looking for the biggest baddest toughest wells you've got we want to see how we can how we can help you with them so you know a lot of times that's where we can add the most value right other than that, I mean, we're a growing team, so we are currently recruiting.
1: What are you guys looking for? So we're
2: looking to hire a business development manager and a technical account manager. Okay. So we're currently recruiting for those two positions right now, and as as we continue to grow, right, the hub here is pretty pretty small, I would say, as far as in total headcount, we're ten total. Wow. So we we want to we definitely want to grow our business and grow the team and. And, and bring on quality personnel that are, you know, ready to serve our clients for sure.
1: Awesome. No, that's exciting stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, over the next few years, how you guys grow. And hopefully we can all keep in touch. If the listeners out there, you know, what's the best way to reach out to you guys? Go on your website or?
2: Yeah, just check out our website, www.circsub.com. Www.circ-sub, Cool. Or, or just hit us, you know, hit us up on on there. And, and, and there's a chat bot on there. So you yeah. can you can engage us there or cool. you can just give us a call here at the hub or here at the Houston hub. You know, it's it's pretty easy to get in touch with us via our website.
1: Cool. We'll, we'll put the link that, in we're the show. All notes. on
2: LinkedIn. So you can connect with us on LinkedIn as well.
1: Perfect. Well, we'll put you a know, link in the show notes for you guys, the website. And I'm sure everyone can figure it out from there. So I just want to mention our sponsor giveaway. So Tindeca is giving away a mini portable projector, perfect for home theater, boardroom, and pocket video. For a chance to win, click the link in the show notes and we'll announce the lucky winners as they come in. Let's talk a little bit about events coming up. Julie, why don't you tell us about our upcoming events?
5: Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before we're heading into the events on deck. Street Team, we are still taking volunteers for a street team. We're only asking you for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email, the link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours, we are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston Happy Hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another Happy Hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, Now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help Redeemed Ministries with our long-term recovery program and Safe House to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk & Derek, Fort Worth Second Annual Shoot for the Future Clay Shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd, to where the deals happen.
1: Thanks, Julie. I also want to mention the OKC fin, feather, and fur. It's not happening until October 11th, but I wanted to give everyone a heads up. It's relatively new for that region, so show them some love and go onto the AADE website and uh, or hit up Courtney Strang with Inwell for more details. Yeah, she'd be definitely happy to lead you guys in the right direction. Anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every three weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. For more information on oil and gas onshore, visit www.oilandgasonshore.com. Gentlemen, thanks again. This has been great. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town.
3: Ooh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, fellas. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.